to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I'm kind of fresh off of Fandemic, the Fandemic tour uh, that came to Houston this past weekend. I'm still kind of buzzing off of that a little bit, and uh, those of you who don't know, all right, uh, as the name might suggest, Fandemic is basically a con, right? And so I don't really know a whole lot about it, apart from the fact that I went to it this past weekend. But otherwise, I'm really not the guy to talk to in terms of, you know, like, what is Fandemic and how does it work and, like, what's the setup like and all that fun stuff. I'm not the guy, right? But uh, before we get going too much into, you know, Fandemic and all this stuff, uh, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of background stuff I, uh, I, that I want to put in. You know, up front, just to kind of set the table on everything else that follows, right? Now, if you're a veteran listener of this show, or these shows, if you consider Trennis Magnus Jab's reality to be like its own kind of separate, independent thing, if you're a regular li- uh, listener of mine, all right, put it that way, if you're a regular listener of mine, what you probably know is that I don't exactly run the most confessional podcast in the whole world. Some people do. I mean, some people will basically tell you a whole lot about who they are personally and what I at least would consider to be like private information, stuff that maybe isn't anybody else's business and all that. And I'm not criticizing, you know, other podcasters who have sort of a sort of a different style. You know, it's not really my business to critique anybody else. I'm only saying that if you've listened to me for any great amount of time at all, you probably know I don't necessarily make with the personal very often, right? Sometimes I do. Usually I don't, right? Having said all of that, um, it does need to be understood that, you know, guys, the past, I would say, several years have been kind of a trial for me individually, 
for Stacy, my fiance, individually, and for me and Stacy collectively. The past several years have really been basically one sucker punch after another, you know? Every time everything seemed to be going okay, some new fucking crisis would happen, and next thing you know, everything gets thrown up in the air, right? And so, one of the side effects of all of that was that she and I have not been to a con together. Guys, I am not kidding. I think it's been very close to six years, you know? Very close to six years since the last time she and I went to a con together. And <clears throat> Stacy is a fangirl in her own right, as will become obvious as we go along. But she's kind of a fangirl in, in her own right. And so for her to not go to a con, I mean, this is a big deal for both of us, you know. And here again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not throwing shots at anybody, but there are podcasters out there who are married to uh, normies, all right? They're basically married to people who indulge their fandom, they tolerate their fandom, they ignore their fandom, etc., etc., right? It's very common, if you listen to any number of podcasts, it's very common to listen to a podcaster who talks about what a champ his wife is because of the fact that she basically has not left said podcaster due to his fandom, right? And that's not the setup I've got at all. My fiance shares my fandom. Now, not necessarily everything. And not necessarily the same things. Or not necessarily to the same exact degree. Right? But, I mean, basically, she and I are starting off from a very similar place. You know? And so, when I say that it's been several years since she, uh, she and I have been to a con together, you need to understand, guys, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. Because in part, not by any means like a majority, but in part, you know, she and I kind of first bonded at, you know, various and, and, and sundry cons that were going on and, and all of that. And so to not be able to go to these things, like I say, I mean, I'm not trying to repeat myself here, but it, it is a big deal, you know? And so we went to Fandemic. And I sometimes think that the best con experience that you can possibly have is the con that you go to when it's not that you don't care about it, but you kind of go in with no real expectations of anything, all right? You basically go in sort of, I guess, open to anything. You know, you don't necessarily have a preconceived idea of what this will or will not be, you know? And... I'm not saying that's necessarily like a magic bullet or anything, but I do think there's there's some mojo to the idea that sometimes the best con experiences come from, uh, I mean this in a nice way, but kind of like a tempered lack of expectations, you know? And that's certainly where I found myself with Fandemic. I mean, in spite of the fact that Stacy told me that the uh, the guests that were most important to us, I'm not saying these were the only guests who were there, but the guests most important to us were Dean Kane, Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum, and John Schneider, right? Those were the, you know, at least as far as, you know, like media types being there, those were the ones that, that mattered the most to us, you know? 
and we would finally be meeting them. Or in Stacy's case, she would be meeting Dean Kane again. But, you know, the Smallville people, we'd never met any of them before, right? So somehow I walked into Fandemic with virtually no expectations whatsoever. And so as a result of that, I mean, I think I had a, a, a pretty amazing time at the con, you know? I mean, I, I saw more butt cracks at this con than I think I've seen at any other one. But like, aside from all the butt cracks and stuff like that, there were, it, it was just nothing but fun, you know? And it was great. We even did, believe it or not, we even did a little bit of uh, shopping for wedding decorations, you know, at Fandemic. But, you know, for me, you know, what I guess I would have assumed would be, you know, the standout moment of the con would have been meeting Tom Welling. And indeed, I did, I, I did meet Tom Welling. And it's not that I have anything negative to say about the guy. I just don't really have much to say about the guy. I mean, if you listen to Magnus talks about Smallville, you've probably heard me say on at least a few occasions that one of the reasons I don't talk about the cast members' private lives. Well, like, the official reason is, you know, I respect their privacy. The the actual, like, true reason is that I, I just, I really don't care. I don't know who they are. And in some ways, maybe the less I know, the better, you know? And so that's probably closer to the true reason, I would say. But anyway, it's just, but who they are as people is just, it's never been something that I've been all that preoccupied with. You know, it's just true. I... It's just not something that, you know, like, who is Michael Rosenbaum as a person? You know, in his innermost soul, it's like, I don't give a shit. You know, I just like watching him play Lex Luthor. I mean, that's, or The Flash. That's really about as much investment as I, as I have, you know. And there's no way to say, to, to, to say that without sounding kind of like a jerk, but <clears throat> it is kind of true, you know. And so, you know, I guess I would have assumed, like I say, that, the standout moment of this con would have been meeting Tom Welling since he's, I don't know, it's like he's, sometimes he's my number one with a bullet favorite live action Superman of all time. Other times Henry Cavill is my favorite live action super uh, Superman. He's number one with a bullet favorite of all time. And they just kind of trade places with each other, just sort of depending. But, you know, meeting somebody who's that far up my personal, like, favorites list, I guess, I guess, you know, that's probably why I would have thought that meeting him would might have been a bigger deal. So I'm trying to set the table here as carefully as I can so that I don't... Because I don't want it to sound like the guy is an asshole. Because I don't think he is an asshole. But the... I guess the impression I had of Tom Welling based on, you know, interviews that are filled with selectively chosen quotes and media appearances where he has to have his, you know, I'm so professional game face on and all that stuff. Basically, as through as many filters as Tom Welling has always been presented to me personally, I guess my sense of him is that he's a little shy, you know? And he's he's fine with being an actor or even a working actor, but he's never really liked the idea of necessarily being like a celebrity, right? He's just a little bit shy. That's always been kind of like my sense of Tom Welling and who he is, right? And you know what? Who's to say? Maybe that may even be true, but, you know, it's just... I, I look at, you know, the way he kind of presented himself at the con, and he seems kind of like a sort of shy frat boy type, 
You know, and <clears throat> I mean, you know, the description frat boy kind of has negative connotations to it, and I don't really mean it that way, but he didn't really come off as like some kind of high-minded, you know, intellectual or anything like that, or he, he didn't come across as aloof and mysterious, you know, like, I mean, I've, I've never actually met James Marsters, but I've seen him at a fair number of cons, and he does kind of have a little bit of that vampire thing going for him, you know, it's like maybe, you know, his, his work on, on Buffy, maybe that's not totally acting, you know, maybe he's bringing a little bit of himself, you know, just a little bit distant, you know, <clears throat> not standoffish, but just a little bit distant. Whereas, you know, like Welling, I, I just, I don't even know how else to describe it, except good natured, slightly shy, kind of frat boy, you know? So that's not good. That's not bad. That's just my reading of the guy. And if any of you have like a different opinion, like if you have met uh, Metamedicon and, you know, you're thinking, this guy's completely out of his mind. You know, send me an email. Let me know. TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. TrentusMagnus at gmail.com. So, anywho. Um, <clears throat> I think that should just about do it for Tom Welling. So, moving right along, the the next, the next sort of uh, Smallville actor that I met was Michael Rosenbaum. And I mean, here again, I mean, you know, I don't think it's necessarily fair or accurate to try to judge somebody's personality based upon what you see in an interview, because everything about an interview or like DVD extras or something like that, everything about that, it may not look as stage managed as an episode of a TV show, but it's just about as stage managed. I mean, they just don't necessarily let you see it quite as much. But my sense of Rosenbaum is that he's every bit the the goof off and cut up that he is. Like any interview that you've ever seen with him, that's more or less the way he carries himself in person, at least at cons, you know? He's got uh, a million jokes that are coming. He's He's never really not performing, I guess is the way to put it, you know? And I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, he's a funny guy. And, you know, meeting him at the con was a real pleasure. I don't think he's somebody I would choose to be friends with just in my personal life, you know? I don't get the idea that he's somebody that, like, somebody whose company I would seek out. Does that make sense? <clears throat> so, anyway, moving right along, uh, next up came John Schneider. And, I mean, he's, I've heard people say that meeting John Schneider is kind of, sort of, like meeting Jonathan Kent in real life, and I can kind of see where people are coming from. You know, he does seem to have a very, I wouldn't say that uh, John Schneider, the guy, I don't think his body language and personal bearing are very far removed from Jonathan Kent, you know? And I get the idea that maybe Jonathan Kent is a little bit sterner and a little bit more strict on certain things than John Schneider is. But, I mean, I honestly didn't really see a ton of daylight between John Schneider and Jonathan Kent. And there was... I posted a little bit about this on Facebook. Man, I'm, guys, this was like years and years ago <clears throat> when Stacy and I were not going to, to cons very often. 
I posted a story. Uh, it, it's about my family and, and, you know, just some kind of, you know, personal stuff and how it relates specifically to John Schneider. And if you guys know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, and so to the best of my knowledge, you know, John Schneider had never heard at least parts of the stuff that I told him because uh, I met him because like I said, I mean, I did meet him at the con and, you know, with like Tom Welling, I've got something to say. You know, hey, man, you know, you, you, you did a great job. You really knocked it out of the park. Ten seasons. Woo! <laughs> That's a long time. You know, great. You know, it, lots of fun. Good times. You know, uh, Michael Rosenbaum, same kind of a thing, except maybe you can throw in a couple jokes of your own. You know, John Schneider, I honestly didn't really know what to say to the guy. You know, I just didn't. And so, you know, there's this story about my personal life that ties in with John Schneider Apparently, even more deeply than I first thought. And so, you know, it was just kind of interesting that he and I could share that together, like share that with one another. And, you know, here I am like this total random stranger, because I am a stranger to him, obviously. And he is a stranger to me. Meeting each other, though, and having like these really interesting things that, you know, that we share in common with one another. And uh, he seemed very interested, very entertained, very amused, and very, I would almost want to say excited, you know, when I told him this stuff, you know. And the reason I'm not telling you guys what it is, you know, I posted about it on, on Facebook, and then in the end I decided, you know what, I, I think I'm going to make this post private now. And so went ahead and did that. So if you saw it and you happen to know what I'm talking about, good for you. But no one else is able to see that now. So anyways, so that's that stuff. Like I say, ton of fun meeting all these uh, Smallville actors and all that. It was, uh, it, it was, it was just, it was a blast, guys. It really was. You know, I mean, yeah, even Tom Welling and all of his frat boy glory, even meeting him was still a lot of fun, you know? So yeah. The real standout, though, of all the different guests and stuff that that we met for me, the real standout, oddly enough, was Dean Kane, you know, and you've got John Schneider, who really is the embodiment of the strong silent type. You've got Michael Rosenbaum, who, again, just judging by the way he behaves in interviews and at cons and on his podcast and all that stuff, guys never had a serious thought in his entire life, you know, and then you've got Tom Welling, who's a little bit of a shy sort of frat boy type. And then comes Dean Kane, who is just like this bouncing ball of energy. You know, it's like, I guess I didn't like fully appreciate the fact that, you know, the guy really is an actor and he was acting whenever he played Clark or when he played Superman. You know, Clark was, he, he Dean Kane's Clark, I would say, was just kind of a soft spoken uh, sort of everyman, you know, whereas his, his Superman was a little bit more reserved, a little bit more held back, and maybe a, a little bit, a little less talkative and a little less chatty than, than, than Clark would be. Like if Clark is going to give you, if you ask Clark a question, he may give you an answer that consists of five words. Whereas if you ask Superman that question, you get two words, you know? And so, but Dean Kane as a person, I mean, geez, what a bravura performance that must have been on, on Lois and Clark, because I don't mean this in like an annoying kind of way, but I mean this in this very friendly, outgoing, amiable, just kind of chatty sort of way. I mean, when 
uh, Stacy and I did our uh, sort of meet and greet with him, you know, where you wait in line and all that stuff. I mean, we were there talking to him. I didn't even think to time it, but we'll say that we probably hung around him no more than five minutes. Probably less, but certainly no more than five minutes, right? During which time, guys, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Motherfucker told like three personal anecdotes in five minutes or less. You know, three anecdotes. You know, uh, I forget what two of them were, but one of them was basically... You know, the one time that he ever got sick and doing four seasons of Lois and Clark, the one time that it ever happened, the one time he ever had to miss work, you know, and, and, and as I say, I mean, he told some, you know, some other anecdotes too, and all of this is happening in less than five minutes. Now, guys, some of you, like if you were to meet me in person, I doubt I would tell you three anecdotes in the span of two hours, you know, but here, here he is doing it in less than five minutes. It's like, holy shit. So just, like I say, really friendly guy, really exciting, uh, or excited, you know, very outgoing, very friendly. And again, not in that, that kind of artificial sort of annoying kind of way that like, you know, you meet some people who are just a little too bubbly for their own good. No, he, his just seemed very warm and genuine, you know? And so, you know, there was that. And then we went to the Dean Kane Q and A and I thought, well, how much, you know, how much is there going to really be to say, you know, in a Dean Cain? I mean, I was going to go just because, you know, you know, he's going to talk about Lois and Clark a fair amount. So by all means, let's let's give it a go. That guy has more stories like that little sampling that I got in five minutes. That's not even the tip of the iceberg, man. I mean, that guy's got more stories. <laughs> it's, it, it, it really is incredible, you know. And so, you know, for me personally, again, nothing against, you know, Welling, Rosenbaum, or Schneider, but for me, the real highlight of, of Fandemic, it, it, it really was Dean Kane, which I wouldn't have predicted just because, you know, he's been on the con scene for so long, you know, like what novelty would there really be in, in meeting him? <laughs> Fucking shit ton, believe me. If you ever have the chance to meet Dean Kane, or go to one of his Q&As or something like that, guys, fucking do it, you know? Satisfaction guaranteed. You're going to laugh, and you're just going to be, like, engaged, you know? So, anyway, whatever you whatever you want to think of that. So, um, as to sort of more like, you know, odds and ends type stuff, you know, Stacy and I, like I say, we did, we did do some uh, shopping for wedding decorations at Fandemic. We got some stuff uh, that I'm thinking may end up on our wedding cake, or maybe these are going to be like wedding reception sort of party favors. I mean, we've got a couple of different ideas on, you know, how different things can be used or might be used. So that was definitely productive. I briefly chatted with and shook hands with uh, Rags Morales. I really enjoy his work. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a new 52 guy basically at all, but if you, I forget which episode it was, but John M. Wilson and I got together for some episode of Trinus Magnus uh, Punches or Jabs Reality and the subject of the Grant Morrison run on Action Comics during the early onset, like really the launch of the New 52, you know, that Grant Morrison run came up. And even though I'm not a like a real big like New 52 kind of guy, I still enjoyed, I would say, however, however long did that last, like five, six, seven, eight issues or, or whatever it was. 
however long it was, I really enjoyed it, and I especially enjoyed uh, Rags Morales drawing that kind of more primitive sort of Superman, you know, with uh, the t-shirt and the beat-up jeans and the work boots and all that stuff. You know, I really dug that. I thought that was just a really interesting take on the character, and one I wasn't necessarily opposed to seeing more of, as it turned out. Now, I don't think that iteration of the character lasted for very long, as fate would have it, but, you know, I think I think Wilson called that the rough, the rough and ready justice version of Superman, perhaps. It, it was words to that effect. I mean, ask, ask Wilson I, uh, about it, I suppose. But anyway, uh, basically, and this is the point, basically, I got a chance to shake hands with Rags Morales and just tell him that, you know, dude, I love your work. I, you know, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's just been, it's always a treat, I guess is the point. It's always a treat to, uh, to pick up a comic and Hey, Rags Morales drew this. All right. You know, cause like, I don't know. I mean, it stands to reason that he probably gets a lot of, uh, attention and adulation from people, you know, but damn it. He hasn't gotten a whole lot of, you know, appreciation, at least from me. So what's the harm in letting him know? Right. So there was that. Uh, another one was um, uh, Jim Salakrup. Uh, he was at uh, Fandemic. And guys, for those of you who don't know, I mean, I don't really consider myself to be a people person in like the strictest sense of that term. But, you know, I do kind of feel sorry for, you know, guests at cons who don't necessarily have a lot of demand at their table. So I happen to be passing by Jim Salakrup's uh, table and this guy's career in comics. It's one of those things that I think is it's very unsung how much he's actually contributed uh, to comics, not necessarily in terms of like number of of like contributions that he's made, but he's made some very important ones. And if you're familiar with Jim Salakrup's career, you probably know the two or three or four items I'm that I'm talking around. Here, you know what I mean? He's made some pretty important contributions, and yet here it is. You know, we've got a we've got an entire convention center full of fucking ingrates who don't want to just swing by his table and say, "Hey, man, I think you're awesome." And even if that's the most you tell him, at least give him that much. He deserves it, you know. So anyway, uh, swung by his table, and I was like, "Hey, man, uh, you know." I think you've had a really great career. I really appreciate, you know, the stuff that you've done in comics. You know, some of it I know is not necessarily extremely well known or widely talked about or anything like that. But, you know, I at least appreciate it. I appreciate you. I think you're great. And it looks to me like you've had just this amazing career. Dude, keep it up, you know. And I ended up sort of embarrassing myself a little bit because, look, it's not like I consider myself to be an expert on Jim Salakrup or anything like that. But I guess I would have thought that, it would have made sense for, of all people, for me to double check somebody's resume before I put my foot in my mouth. But put my foot in my mouth a little bit, I did, because I just happened to glance down at his table and I saw that he was sketching some stuff. And I guess I thought of Jim Salakrup more as like a writer or an editor or something like that. The idea that he's an artist in his own right, I guess I didn't know that, which I let him know. And he, he laughed at that, and he's like, yeah, it's just for some reason, that's the thing that people are most likely to forget about me. I don't understand why, but it's like, that's just not widely known for whatever reason, you know? 
So I thought that was pretty funny. And honestly, you know, I mean, this was neither the time nor the place to mention it to him. But, you know, my the the first time I can ever remember Jim Salakrup ever really coming on my radar, Wizard Magazine did a profile on him. This was like, God, this was like ages and ages ago. It was like uh, Wizard something in the 40s or in the 50s, maybe. I want to say that the cover date was 1994. So... Logically, there would only have been 12 issues of Wizard Magazine that came out in 1994. So methinks if you flip to the the last page or whatever page that, you know, their their comic book creator profile page was on, I think that was one of the last features that they would always put at the end of every issue. Look for that one. Eventually, assuming I'm right about the 90, 1994 thing, and I'm pretty sure that I am, you're going to find the, their profile <clears throat> about Jim Salakrup. And it's just, I don't know why, but there's something that's just very 90s about it. Not just the fact that this thing came out in the 90s or that his look and his style and God knows that that hairdo were very 90s. There's just something indefinably 90s about this in like every fucking possible way, which is why it's indefinable because we can't possibly count all the different ways that, geez, this smacks of the 90s, you know? And uh, that was really the first time he came on my radar, you know, as like somebody whose name that I see in comics from time to time, this name actually has a face, you know. So anyway, it was just interesting, but I didn't think that, well, a con is not necessarily the place to to mention stuff like that now, is it? Hey, yeah, this goofy uh, uh, personal profile one time in Wizard Magazine. Hey, man, you're famous. <laughs> so no. Plus, I'd already put my foot in my mouth with the whole art thing. So, you know, uh, last thing I want to do is, I don't know, piss the guy off. Next thing you know, he jumps the table and beats my ass or something like that. For those of you who don't know, guys, I'm I'm fragile. Okay, I'm kind of brittle, you know, after all these years. So uh, don't need somebody to jump the table at, uh, at a con and beat the tar out of me. So thanks, but no thanks. <sighs> the other thing that I felt kind of or the other person, I should say, uh, the, uh, the other guest that I felt a little bit sorry for was, uh, Claire Kramer. And for those of you who don't know, Claire Kramer played, uh, Glory on, I believe the fifth season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's like, at the time that I happened to walk by her table, it's like, nobody was there. Nobody was there. And, you know, all these other, uh, tables like, uh, Tom Welling, or Norman Reedus, or uh, Bruce Campbell, I mean, Michael Rooker, you just go down the line, everybody had like these massive crowds all around them, and Clara Kramer, not so much. So I made a point of catching her eye, because I was on my way to something else, but I made a point of catching my eye, uh, of catching her eye, and I like waved and smiled at her and stuff, she smiled and waved back, and I actually did think about, you know, like buying something, but it's like, Guys, I mean, I'm facing the same economic realities as everybody else at any con where, you know, you've only got so much money to spend and uh, all or most of that has been set aside for the essentials. And we haven't even started talking about food yet, you know, and all this. And so, you know, it's like I, I felt bad about it, but it's like, you know, I can't I, w I would love to swing by and, you know, say hello and like pay you money for something. But yeah, there's only so much money to go around here and most of it's already spoken for. So, but anyway, she seemed to really appreciate it, at least being waved at and all that. So I don't know. 
It's just, you don't want people like that to be discouraged, you know? I mean, they, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily the world's biggest fan of Buffy after the third season, but even I would admit that, you know, guys, you know, the fifth season, not bad, you know, especially compared to what came later, really not bad, you know? So it just kind of, it's just kind of sad, I guess, when somebody's sitting at a at a table at a con all by themselves and it's like nobody gives a care about them i don't know why but that just that's sad you know and that's just kind of as a as a general thing what i'm hoping is that pandemic is something that is an ongoing thing here in houston because uh how how shall i put that? uh pandemic at least when I went to it this past weekend, it was extremely well-organized. You know, it was a well-oiled machine. It really was. You know, there were, I don't even know what to call them, uh, volunteers, handlers, whatever you want to call them. There were personnel wandering literally everywhere, all on the floor. And so if you had a question about, you know, what to do, where to go, how to do this, how to do that, these people were very, uh, they were very well equipped, let's say, to answer questions or to give you instructions or show you where to go or just tell you where to go or just, you know, whatever. You know, it was just extremely well organized, right? Whereas the last several times that I went to Comic Palooza, which is the other big con in Houston, I mean, it's like, the staff, it's like they just don't really give a shit. You know, uh, maybe they're volunteers and they're just here for the perks or, you know, or, or, or just whatever, you know. And it's like, it's kind of nice for me to know that Comic Palooza, now they've got competition, you know. It's not enough anymore to just be there, you know, like back in the day when, or I guess as of or until this past weekend, you know, it was enough for Comic Palooza merely to exist. And they had a virtual monopoly on on cons, at least in Houston. Whereas now with Pandemic, Comic Palooza now they've got they've got territory to defend, you know, and they have uh, standards that they need to live up to. There's competition there that needs to be overcome, you know. The monopoly that they once enjoyed is gone, and that's a positive thing, guys. You know, at least for my participation, that's a positive thing. You know, I mean, it's just. Like, I remember what Comic Palooza was when it started, and it wasn't horrible, but it was definitely like a startup kind of kind of con. And it's like, in just just a couple of years, it just got weird, you know, like very poorly managed, and it wasn't attracting, you know, comics talent that I at least care to meet. It wasn't attracting media talent, at least that I care to meet. And it was, I mean, just basically everything that, that, that was going on there, it wasn't something that I had any particular stake in you know, or great attachment to, or just whatever, you know, and it was basically a case of diminishing returns year after year after year, you know, and I think the last time that I actually went to it was uh, 2013, and it's like, there is nothing here, I mean, there are shit tons of people here, but there's really nothing here that speaks to my fandoms, you know, the things that I'm interested in, the things that I like, you know, I mean, there was a point, and it, 
it's just it's weird to think it didn't last all that long. But there was a point when, you know what? Somebody like Doug Hazelwood, the former inker of The Adventures of Superman, somebody like Doug Hagel, uh, Hazelwood might just be at Comic Palooza. <laughs> Those days are gone. And I don't know, it's just, it's sad. See, because to me, it always seemed a little bit sad that, you know, Comic Palooza just took such a nosedive. I mean, I, if, if my memory serves me right, they got acquired by Wizard World at some point or another, and the acquisition in this case doesn't seem to have benefited Comic Palooza, at least not very much. You know, at least not at the time that I just gave up going, you know? So, anyway, I mean, who knows? Maybe in the future, going forward, things are going to be better. Maybe they have gotten better, and I just don't know it. But at least, last time I looked, it just didn't seem like... It just didn't seem like it was anything to get too excited about, you know? So, I don't know. But uh, what I do know is that, you know, it was a, it was a great pleasure. It was a great pleasure uh, to meet all of these different people. You know, Rags Morales and Tom Welling and all these guys you know, John Schneider and all that, it was, a, it was just a, a great pleasure to meet them. But I think the thing that I really like about Fandemic is the fact that this was something that Stacy and I got to share together after all these years of hard times and trials and all these other things that were going on. We at least, we finally got a chance to go back to a, to a con and just kind of get back to to basics on, on on some things with each other and and all of that you know and it's see it's one thing to say that you know true love lasts forever true love stands by you through thick and thin you know uh, true love is always there for you in good times or bad and you know what all of those things may be true but bro let me tell you something you know when it comes to the bad times sooner or later you gotta start having some good ones <laughs> You gotta have those or else what are we doing here, you know? And this most assuredly was a good time. So and that I think is pretty much it for me, at least in this helping of Trinus Magnus Jab's reality. So bye everybody, I will see you next time. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus 
punches reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners, and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonzacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>